As we cross that western bay But the helmsman, he misjudged it And we ran aground At the edge of the intercoastal waterway And then the sky cracked open And the rain poured down While we all feared that we soon would be found When the morning Good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. Smugglers, prayers, the name of that one from Daryl Lee Rush kicking things off for us on the Lone Star Outdoors Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm your host, Cable Smith. It is great to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks today. Thanks for sharing a part of your weekend with me. I do appreciate each and every one of you, and you all know what to do by now. I don't need to tell you. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Maybe you spiked it with some of Grandpappy's cough syrup. Maybe you didn't, but either way, get comfortable because we've got a lot to get into on this, the last weekend of the Texas waterfowl season. Hope everybody's making big plans uh, to go out with a bang. It's been a good season uh, across the board. There's no doubt about that. Better than last year uh, by all accounts uh, from across the state. Uh, interesting stuff on that front, though. Uh, we'll have the Texas Parks and Wildlife Waterfowl Program leader on next week. Just a side note here. Uh, because the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service lowered the pintail bag limit from two to one for next season. So anyway, that's besides the point. We've got a great show lined up for you today as we are making America great again. We're making deer hunting great again. We're making duck hunting great again. We're making bass fishing great again. We're going to get into all of it. Off the top, though, we're going to talk some predator control with our buddy Clayton Leverett from the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas. I had the pleasure of joining him on a whitetail hunt for the ages last weekend. Uh, but equally as exciting and educational for me, I mean, the deer hunting was phenomenal, which we'll hit on, but I learned a lot about snaring. And uh, Clayton actually gets $80 per coyote that he snares on his ranch, and that is a payment that is issued from Llano County. So I started doing some research, trying to find out what counties across Texas actually have a bounty on coyotes. And uh, there's not a lot of great info out there. So we'll visit with Clayton on that. He's doing something really cool with his son as far as what they're putting that money towards. And Clayton's teaching him the, uh, the art of trapping and snaring throughout that process. So pretty cool stuff there. Uh, and then we'll follow up that discussion by checking in with Jonah Evans. He's our Texas Parks and Wildlife fur bearer and small game, uh, I guess, program leader. And most people will just call him a, uh, a mammologist. Uh, but he deals with everything from foxes to coyotes to bobcats, mountain lions, all that stuff. And so uh, we're going to talk some coyotes and find out how their population is doing or, or if there's even any info out there on coyotes. Because I've hunted in damn near every part of Texas, and I'll tell you what, uh, I've always seen coyotes. <laughs> Some places more than others, but they are a part of the landscape no matter where you go. So is trapping them even a viable management philosophy or strategy? We'll get into that. We'll also talk bobcats. Are bobcats really capable of taking down full-grown white-tailed deer? Uh, we will get Jonah's opinion on that, uh, plus their effect on fawn recruitment. 
Uh, so cool stuff coming up regarding uh, all things predators. Then we'll switch gears and talk a little bass fishing with our old pal Cody Robertson of Army Bass Anglers. And specifically, we'll dive into how a major front affects the bite during cold weather months of the year. Uh, so it could be a cold front. It could be a warming trend. But either way, it's going to change bass behavior. Cody just experienced it last week on Falcon Lake during a uh, Bass Champs tournament. And he'll break that down for us as, as his team was able to stay on the bite. But it wasn't easy. And Cody will tell us what the keys to their success were uh, here in just a little bit. We will then wrap up today's show by going back in time, revisiting 2016 with our buddy Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms. He'll tell us which rifle calibers really took the hunting and shooting community by storm last year, what he thinks that means going forward, and which calibers could become uh, a thing of the past as a result of some of the latest and greatest innovation when it comes to big game calibers among sportsmen. We'll also pick Derek's brain on custom rifle stocks. What are the advantages in going with a custom stock over a standard uh, factory issue stock? I really don't know. Uh, to be honest with you, I'm not an authority on that subject, but I'm interested to find out Derek's thoughts on that. So we'll get into that discussion here at the bottom of the hour. Uh, that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. That, I promise you, will be all over the place covering a wide array of topics. And I'm certainly glad that you're along for the ride. Uh, let's do a quick giveaway. I've got a Lone Star Ag Credit camo cap, a Lone Star Outdoor Show sticker, and a 2XL Lone Star Outdoor Show hunting, fishing, what else really matters t-shirt. Uh, if you're not a 2X, you can cut it up and, and use it to clean your guns with for all I care. Uh, but that's today's prize package. Third person to text in the word coyote. That's coyote to 214-289-7807. You'll win today's Lone Star Outdoor Show prize pack. Okay. Uh, oh, one other thing to mention. Our January photo of the month contest is wrapping up. Today is your last chance to send in your best hunting or fishing photo for a chance to join me on a guided fly fishing trip at Beaver's Bend. Uh, with guide Peter Breeden from the Beaver's Bend Fly Shop. No, yeah, <laughs> I'm not doing the guiding. We'll spend all day hung up in shrubs and trees, uh, but the two of us will join Peter on a uh, epic fly fishing adventure for rainbow and brown trout on the lower Mountain Fork River system. So send in your best outdoor photo. Email it to Lone Star Outdoors Show. Uh, you can post it on our Facebook page or use the LSOS hashtag on Instagram to enter your submission. And then our 12 monthly winners will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. All right, let's take a break. Up next, we're going to snare some coyotes with our old friend Clayton Leverett. There's a bounty in Lano, Texas. He's getting paid for that fur, and we'll get into that next right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Sound, 
We all love fishing, but private water fishing makes the experience even more enjoyable. Private means private, and when you reserve one of over 50 private lakes, that means you're the only one on the water. Lakes are stocked and professionally managed to grow big bass, and most have boats on site at no charge. You'll catch bigger numbers and bigger fish than on public water. Silence, solitude, and no crowds. It's a great way to introduce kids and grandkids into the outdoors. Visit privatewaterfishing.com to become a member today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans. This is Brian Spagnola, general manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. Coyote chewing on a cigarette pack of young boys going howling at the moon. Head darling, sleeping on the blacktop. Head darling, running through the trees, honey. Head darling, leaving for the next time. Letting my sense catches up with me. All right, Cable Smith, welcome in each and every one of you back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Sleeping on the Black Tops, the name of that one from Coulter Wall. Uh, you might have heard it if you've seen the movie uh, Hell or High Water, Texas-based Western starring Jeff Bridges. Uh, probably my favorite movie of 2016. I think it's up for Best Picture at the Oscars as well. If you haven't seen it, uh, check it out. It's kind of in that same vein as No Country for Old Men. If you liked that one, uh, check out Hell or High Water. Anyway, um, we've got a lot to get into, and we're about to talk some coyotes here with our old buddy Clayton Leverett from the Stillwaters Ranch. But before we do that, this segment of the show proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation We'd love to have you get plugged in with this great group of like-minded folks who are passionate about hunters' rights, education, and conservation. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. All right. Uh, Well, like I said, we're talking song dogs here, and and we'll also get into last weekend's uh, whitetail hunt at the Stillwaters Ranch, uh, a beautiful piece of Texas Hill Country property that's been in the Leverett family since 1882 so without further ado uh, let's bring on our good friend clayton leverett right now thanks for being here brother 
Absolutely, absolutely. I'm glad to be on. Yeah, buddy. It was uh, it was quite an epic weekend at the Stillwaters Ranch last week. Yeah, it was awesome having you back, and and uh, it's always good to take a uh, someone that hasn't been hunting before, and and I think we I think he kind of we kind of blew his mind. Yeah, yeah. Trevor, our our buddy from Guys Life uh, Instagram page, I think he's got 360,000 followers. Um, he shot his first deer, uh, so that was pretty cool, and. I tell you what, man, uh, I don't know a lot of people that have killed their first deer at 450 yards. <laughs> I I don't know. I can't, I can't uh, say that I've ever shot one that far either. And, and the first deer out of the box is is uh, something, I mean, it's just astonishing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. to be honest, it's crazy. Yeah. But it was awesome. It was awesome. It well, was a great shot. And it, it uh, went right down, and, and no no pain, no struggle. It was great. You and I just started laughing. I mean, <laughs> you were looking at it through binos. I was just watching with the naked eye, and all I could see was something that was there fall over. And, uh, you know, it's a math equation. Uh, he was hitting the target at 300 yards. And so when we said, yeah, that, that, that deer is 450 yards away, he just, you know, took the, uh, took the vortex scope, did a little measurements there, and put it, six inches above her back and boom dropped her it was cool it was cool yeah yeah well that was that was a highlight for for trevor for me it was uh taking a uh a 218 inch drop tine buck which uh i think was the new ranch record so that was pretty cool and and you and i we definitely underestimated this thing because we were guessing it was going to be in the 180s uh before we put the tape on it that's right. That's right. You're right. It is a new ranch record by five eighths of an inch, which is still a record. And uh, yeah, I mean, we did underestimate it uh, dramatically, which is, uh, I, I guess we need to go back to Boone and Crockett school, right? Yeah. Well, you never want to get high on your own supply, but uh, that was one where you said, man, maybe I should have shot that buck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've been watching it. I've been watching it. And you know, that bucket didn't come in to uh, a stand all season long mm-hmm. while there were other hunters there. So yeah. he was uh he was a he, he was a wily one. Yeah, he was pretty elusive. So we we played a trick on him though. Uh you thought maybe he was getting wise to the the truck noise or maybe even smelling the diesel fuel and so we uh we parked a vehicle at each food plot even though we were only at one and and uh he kind of I think he made his bed and decided, well, I, I got to eat something. So I'm coming in and, and that was, uh, that was his fatal mistake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we might've tricked him. So yeah. Either way it worked. So it was good. Yeah. Well, it was a, it was a hell of a weekend. My second time whitetail hunting with you. Absolutely love the Stillwaters Ranch. It's been in the family since 1882. Uh, your grandmother's original homestead still sits on the property. And, and the cool thing about that food plot where the, the buck actually, uh, the one he came into was that was a pecan orchard that uh, I believe it was your great grandparents planted probably a hundred right. years ago. Great grandfather's pecan orchard and, and personal garden. Mm-hmm. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So it's well well over a hundred years ago. So mm-hmm. and and now we're using it. Uh, we're planting it as a food plot and and hunting over it. So I I don't know whether he'd be proud. I, I think he probably would. Sure. Uh, or I'm sure he'd be really shocked at, at what was going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was it was an awesome experience, no doubt about that. Of course, we've got pictures of the buck all over our social media stuff and website. Folks can see him there. Um, and then, you know, like we said, the other highlight was just watching Trevor take his first deer and the and learning how to you know get 
get blood on your hands and and you know you walked him through how to clean it and and that's just such a you know he came into that weekend saying I think a man should know how to kill and process his own meat and yes at the end of the day he learned how to do that he did yeah, yeah. and so uh, it was very cool to to see him uh, really eat that experience up. Um, well, what I really want to focus on now, though, is something that was very educational for me. I told you I've got this uh, this trapline adventure booked for British Columbia in, in 2018, and and that I'm really infatuated by the the art of trapping and and snaring predators. And um, this is something that 50 years ago was absolutely commonplace, and 50 years before that was a way of life for a lot of people. Um, it's been, it's been going on for, for centuries and centuries and you're keeping it alive and well at the Stillwaters Ranch for good reason. Um, how long have you been running a a snare line? I think I've been doing it, uh, since 2009. So that's seven years. Uh Uh-huh. And yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, with each, I mean, every time I go and check them, I learn something new, uh, not, not always some some uh you know something major but you learn a little trick and i i'll tell you i i have as you saw there are probably more uh that slide through a hole as hard as it is to believe without hitting the trap or the snare than i catch still right after seven years so <laughs> yeah it's it's not an easy thing and i mean i know the leg traps and live traps and that kind of thing are probably much much more difficult but uh yeah, catching a coyote in in a snare is no easy task. No doubt, no doubt. Well, we caught two that day. Uh, they were both alive, and uh, and one thing I do want to say is if you are running a trap line, snare line, just uh, dispatch the animal before you post pictures all over social media because it just makes it makes us look bad. There's nothing wrong with taking a picture of it and a quick picture and sending it to your buddies. You know, hey, look at this one I caught, or you know, whatever. But as far as putting it out there, it's just fuel for the, the anti-hunting, anti-trapping community. They call us cruel, and so I just encourage folks not to put that out there. So um, we dispatched the two coyotes, and then once you've got the coyotes down, they're worth uh, you know a pretty penny as far as a, uh, a county-wide bounty there in Lano County. That's right, that's right. And we, uh, between the, the county and there's a livestock raisers association called the Hill Country Livestock Raisers Association. And as a ranch, uh, depending on the size and number of animals that you're running, you pay a different amount, and that helps uh, supply for half of the bounty, you know, $40, and the county matches it. Hmm. And I think we usually we usually run out of money by the end of the year. I mean, the last, you know, four to six weeks, you, you're, you're not getting paid. So, uh that's a good thing, right? Yeah. Um, you know, days of, of guys making a living trapping uh, varmints is, you know, it, it doesn't happen anymore. So there's more varmints and less predators for the varmints. And more coyotes means less calves and less fawns. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, the Livestock Raiders Association and the county both agree that it is it is wor- well worth it. Uh, so they, they pay uh, collectively $80 per coyote. So. Right, and in Mason County, which is the the county to the west of us, it's my understanding they pay one hundred and fifty dollars a coyote. Yeah, I mean that's absolutely incredible. A guy on uh, <laughs> social media, he was following along on some of our posts, and we did a uh, you know a live post of you explaining how you set your snares, and uh, we actually have one that you missed, and saying, well, this is how this one got through, and here's what I should have done, or whatever. 
Uh, and the guy was like, oh, 80 bucks. He's like, that's great, but we get 150 next door. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. so it is a, uh, a viable way to supplement your income. You're doing something cool with, with uh, each coyote you catch, the $80 that, that it fetches. Uh, I think it's something you and your son are, are saving up for that uh, he'll get to, I guess, buy his first pickup with, hopefully. Yeah, well, that's what I told him. I said, if he'll come with me, you know, we'll usually do it on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon, uh, uh, you know, drive the, the snare trap lines. And uh, he helps me tie them, and, and you know, he's kind of learning how to do it. And I'm sure at my age, by the time he's my age, he'll be much better. But, yes, I told him, I said, if you'll come with me, uh, you know, I, I, and I've started a checking account. And I said, we'll, we'll put all the money in the checking account. And he's six years old. His name's Quit. And I said, you know, in 10 years, there may be enough money in that uh, checking account to buy you a nice used pickup. And so uh, we're trying to instill a little work ethic, but it's still fun. And we're doing good and, you know, trying to teach him to be a steward of the land. But it'd be at mixing a little fun with it, too, where it's not just all uh, stretching barbed wire and digging holes. Right, right. Um, let me ask you this. As far as how you learned, did you go to a class or did you watch YouTube videos? How did you learn how to set a snare? I, you know, when I started, I just bought snares and started hanging them. And there's some local trappers, you know, some, some older guys I would, uh, you know, regularly run into. I'm sure if they see me coming now, they think, uh, you know, here comes that guy with all the questions. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I would just ask questions, inquire, and, and just, you know, trial by fire, get out there and start doing it. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, about how many are you catching a year now? I catch probably 20 to 30. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, so yeah. at 80, 80 bucks a piece, I mean, that's 1600 in, you know, 10 years. That's a pretty nice truck. Yeah, <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. Well, I, you know what? I, I applaud you for uh, not only keeping this time-honored tradition alive and well, but passing it on down to your son. Uh, I learned a lot as someone who's, you know, I've never uh, set a snare in my life. And that's why I had that trapline um, adventure booked because I'm, in, you know, really interested in it. I just don't, you know, my my place in Oklahoma, the landowner has a bunch of horses, and you know, snares are, uh, for in his opinion, absolutely out of the question. So it's not, you know, I don't have my own place. Um, I'm jealous. You know, you've had this family property. Well, it's been your family since, like we said, the 1880s. Absolutely, a beautiful piece of Lano County, and you can actually see Enchanted Rock uh, from your property. That's right. That's right. So very cool. Well, uh, hey, want to give us the website? Uh, and if folks wanted to book a whitetail hunt for next season, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, yeah, go to stillwatersranch.com. Uh, you can call me at, at uh, you know, 512-656-2930. Um, and, you know, you can also send an inquiry through the website. Um, so, you know, a couple, a couple different ways to get in touch with us. And we're usually booked uh, by, uh, you know, anywhere from June to August. So if, if anyone's thinking of coming to Atlanta to get them a trophy whitetail, they, they should book it early is my suggestion. And we take 50% deposit to book the following year. And we don't even have to talk about dates immediately. We could just, you know, get reserve a spot. And as we get closer, we'll, we can nail down the dates. And we've, we've also got a, an exciting... Uh, new addition to the hunting operation uh, this year which we have plans to build a lodge so that will be uh, a, a big bonus i think for for folks being able to stay at the ranch so yeah we're excited about that no doubt 
no doubt. And then uh, folks can find you on Facebook and Instagram, Stillwater's Ranch. Check it out. And Clayton, we certainly appreciate the time today, brother, and I look forward to uh, our next adventure together. Me too, Cable, and I hopefully when you go uh, on that trapline adventure, you can come back and teach me a few tricks this year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, hey, we appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Cable. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. So there he goes, our good friend Clayton Leverett of the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas. Uh, that segment, by the way, proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Y'all know where I took that 218-inch buck. Yeah, I took it to Rustic Reminders. And Josh and Becky Gunther are going to do amazing things with it, uh, just like they do with all of my trophies. They'll do the same for you. Fast turnaround time, great customer service, all-around good people. They've got locations in San Antonio and uh, Marion, Texas, just outside of New Braunfels. Check them out at grthenumber8mounts.com. That's grthenumber8mounts.com for your next trophy mount. Uh, let's take a break. Up next, we're going to uh, kind of follow up on the coyote discussion, the snaring discussion we just had with Clayton. We will be joined by our Texas Parks and Wildlife non-game and fur-bearing biologist Jonah Evans. And so we'll take a closer look at coyotes and bobcats, uh, the biology of each, and what they're really up to on the Texas landscape right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Coming at you here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, thanks so much to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris, our presenting sponsors. Thanks to you uh, for joining in today as we're uh, all set to talk some predators, uh, what they're doing here on the Texas landscape. But, you know, taking a step further than that, what they biologically are doing when pressured, specifically coyotes, they've got an interesting rebound mechanism. Just put it this way, they're hardwired to reproduce more effectively 
when pressured. And we discussed this in great detail with uh, author Dan Flores regarding his book, Coyote America. And if you haven't heard that interview with Dan, I suggest you go back and take a listen to that podcast. Very insightful stuff. But today we're going to be joined by our Texas Parks and Wildlife fur-bearing and small-game mammologist Jonah Evans. And so uh, let's go ahead and bring him on now. Jonah, thanks for being here, man. Hey, it's a pleasure to be on. We're glad to have you. And I guess first of all, why don't you uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your role with Texas Parks and Wildlife as our state mammologist? Sure. So uh, I actually wear a couple of different hats for Texas Parks and Wildlife. Um, I am the fur bearer biologist, so that would be um, in charge of uh, fur bearing animal. Uh, conservation, regulation, and, and things like that. So fur-bearing animals include things like uh, gray foxes, raccoons, coyotes. possums. Coy- uh, no, coyotes are actually classified as non-game, uh-huh. um, although there, it's sort of a gray area. But, yes, I'm also in charge of non-game mammals as well, and that would be like mountain lions, bobcats, and coyotes. Well, you said uh, gray fox. They're not classified as a game animal. They're classified as a fur-bearer. Okay. But coyotes aren't. Coyotes are not. That's correct. There are some other uh, regulations that differentiate what you can do to um, what you can do with fur-bearing animals than uh, with non-game animals. Um, You know, there's actually if you're trapping for for um, or hunting for commercial fur purposes, Mm -hmm. you can only take furs of fur-bearing animals during the commercial fur harvest season. Sure. Um, Whereas uh, with Bobcats, lions, and coyotes—they, you know, their furs can be harvested and, and taken any time. Right. Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, and so, but then, you know, so I, I have—I wear the fur bear hat, but then I also deal with rare, threatened uh, animal conservation stuff. Uh, so, so I know you had a conversation with um, Hillary Schwartz. Yeah. Uh, recently, so I work with her some on ocelots. Yeah. Uh, I work with um, with Texas kangaroo rats with. Um, which is a rare little animal that's only found in Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a, a you know handful of other ones, swift foxes. West um, Texas, right? Panhandle. Panhandle, yeah. yep. Okay. Um, and then also I'm the bat biologist. So <laughs> in, in, in some states this might be three or four separate jobs um, because um, – you know, some states have a mountain lion and a black bear person separately, and and that's also in my in my shop. So, mountain lions, black bears, fur bears, uh, rare threatened species, and bats uh-huh. are kind of um, are all in my in my shop. Okay, so you have a pretty diverse job. There's there's no doubt about that. Uh, what I really want to talk about today, though, are the coyotes, and mm-hmm. uh, we just visited with. Uh, Clayton Leverett, our friend from the Stillwaters Ranch, and I didn't realize uh, that there were so many county-wide coyote bounties still existing today. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them are—I don't know of any in the North Texas area where I live, uh, but I do know other states, like take Utah, for example. They've got a statewide bounty on coyotes, um, mm-hmm. and then here in Texas, there's it's a county-by-county county proposition, I guess. Uh, but we were doing a little snaring with Clayton, just checking his, his uh, snare line, Mm-hmm. And he told me every coyote he catches, that's 80 bucks from the county. And then he, and then someone commented on our social media feed, and they were like, yeah, well, the next county over, he's like, this guy said, I live in Mason County, and we get 150 bucks for every coyote. Uh, right. So interesting stuff there. And I just wanted to see 
what information is out there on our Texas coyote population? Uh, maybe there's some areas with the highest population density. I don't know if there is any info. I, I, yeah. I have hunted in just about every corner of Texas, and it uh, doesn't matter where you go. There's really no shortage of coyotes from uh, what I've seen. Yeah, coyotes are um, are excellent at survival. Um, you know, they they manage to get by just about anywhere. They're even in Central Park of New York City, I've been told. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it doesn't really matter where they can they can manage to eke out a living. Uh, but uh, regarding populations in our state, we don't have any official numbers. And running a survey to try to determine how many coyotes are in different areas would be um, would be epically expensive. Um, the, you know, the only way to really get at that kind of data would be to ask uh, hunters and, and trappers to report harvest to the state, um, and that's done in some states. But uh, you know, Texas hunters and, and trappers are usually value their um, their privacy and and probably wouldn't be thrilled to. Sure. To to have to do that, um, I don't know. You know, if people were really interested in in that kind of information, um, they could talk to us about that, and we might be able to put something together. But yeah, right now there's no way to know how many coyotes uh, there are, and if the population's gone up or down or, or anything like yeah. that uh, on a large scale. Maybe from ranch to ranch, you could talk to talk to local landowners and and hunters and stuff, and I'm sure they would be um, able to give a real good good picture on what's happening on a is local there, level is there any resource out there that tells you because i've had a lot of people ask me since i came across this information hey where can we find out which counties have a bounty in place and i don't know if there's a uh, you know a collective resource out there where people can go find that i have not found uh, anything like that either okay. um it, it seems like there's certainly a uh there's a need, a for, need for that information to be compiled somewhere, but yeah, I have not, um, hmm. never come across it. Right. Well, we've had, I don't know if you've heard of the book Coyote America by Dan Flores. It kind of talks about the history of the coyote in North America where, I mean, just like the wolves, we tried to eradicate them. You know, we tried like hell. Mm-hmm. Just the coyote is not as dependent as, you know, on a, uh, a pack structure. So it can live by itself, you know, finds a mate, raise a litter. They don't need an entire pack uh, like a wolf does. And so I think that's why they proved to be impossible to eradicate. We're glad they did. Don't get me wrong. I love hunting coyotes and trapping mm-hmm. them, but I respect sure. them and, and they're a viable, you know, a valuable part of the landscape. Uh, so I'm glad they weren't eradicated. Uh, but it seems like, and especially in this book, Dan writes about the more you hunt them, the more you trap them, the more they rebound. Well, so so what I've heard about that and what I've read about that before is basically when when you have a intact coyote population that is not heavily hunted, that you end up having a lot of interspecies competition. So so um, uh, there'll be alpha males. The alpha males will be the only ones allowed to breed uh, with the alpha female, and they'll do and they'll. Um, scare off other ones from their territory and and stuff like that. And what I have been told is, and what I've read is that in if you if you do a fairly um, half-hearted attempt at coyote control, and you go in and and shoot the ones that are howling, the ones that are showing up first to predator calls, being the most um, uh, the most obvious uh, alpha animals uh, get get killed off. 
then you can oftentimes end up with a rebound of a lot of um, a lot of juvenile animals moving in, and a lot of um, a lot of sort of the subdominant ones coming in to the area. Uh, the other thing that that has been documented is when po- coyote populations are hunted. The, the harder they're hunted, the earlier they start breeding and the more babies they often start having. And right. so whereas normally you would have had a coyote breeding and having babies, a, you know, a year and a half or two or a little older, uh, they might start doing that, uh, you know, uh, much earlier. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, right, so it, a half-hearted attempt at coyote control can, can result in uh, – a, a boost in the number of coyotes that are, are existing in an area, so it can have the opposite goal. And that, so that's why, you know, when when people ask me about predator control and, and uh, thoughts on on uh, should people shoot coyotes uh, uh, when they see them or should people shoot uh, predators, my response is is usually that uh, a prescriptive approach makes a lot more sense than sort of a a half-hearted, you know, just like, oh, look, there's one, and and shoot it. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're doing it for your for sport, that's one thing. If you're doing it for land management purposes, uh, the consequences of sort of an ad hoc approach can be uh, more, more negative. Than, yeah, they can it, it can have the opposite effect. So if you if you really want to get after them, get in the helicopter and start setting snares. I mean, that's the bottom. Line. Yeah, yeah. So so taking a much more aggressive approach. Uh, the other thing is we, you know, we recommend looking at what your goals are. So if your goals are are fawn production or or um, quail production or something like that, then you might find out, you know, I know in West Texas, one of the things we do is look at, um, do some coyote control in relation to pronghorn. Mm-hmm. Um, and so and what you're what saying do, without they, saying it is that Texas Parks and Wildlife flies around and shoots them out of a helicopter. I mean, that's, that is, yes, it is what it but, is. But, you guys don't like well, to say yeah. that for all the anti yeah, and but it is what well, it is. And it's, it's, I, I don't believe it's actually, I, I'm not associated with that program. I don't think it's, us doing it, I think it might be uh, a different program that's hired to do it. I, I, I don't know the well, details. Well, it's the same as like, you know, same we've deal. talked about uh, desert bighorn conservation in the past, and mm-hmm. the guy's real, likes to skirt the issue when I say, now, y'all do some AWDAD management, and, you know, basically that means that exactly what I said, they fly yeah. around and shoot AWDAD because they compete right. with the native desert bighorn. But, you know, people don't like to say that. It just gives the, sure. you know... A, it sounds bad to say we're killing one species to save another, but at the end of the day, sometimes you have to do that. Yeah, yeah. So. yeah it's not it's not um, something that some people want to hear, but it's uh, one of the kind of hard truths of wildlife management. Right. Uh, but so to get back to that, in West Texas, what we're doing with pronghorn is is a very targeted approach just during the uh, when fawns are being dropped, uh, and so just during that window of time when the pronghorn are dropping their fawns and the fawns are vulnerable. Our research showed that they were getting just hammered by coyotes, and so we found that by um, by doing a prescribed focus control at that certain time period, they were able to have a big impact on the coyote population short term, enough to give the fawns time to reach uh, a size where they could effectively evade coyotes. And that's kind of the approach that we generally recommend. You know, so if if your goals are turkey, quail, whatever. You need to monitor them so you know uh, what their populations are doing, and then you need to uh, identify what the primary cause of their 
of their decline is, if there's a decline. And then you need to take an approach where you, um, where you address that. It's much like, you know, a doctor at a, at a hospital or what any other doctor, you know, diagnoses a disease. You come in, they talk to you, they might take a sample, send it to a lab, identify the disease, and then prescribe a medicine based on your weight and your age and gender and a number of factors uh, in order to cure that disease. You wouldn't want to just blanketly prescribe the same medicine to everybody in the world, uh, irrespective of what their conditions are. And so that's sort of our, our you know, approach is think about the situation, prescribe the right medicine for it, and, um, and hopefully you'll get the right, the right result. Let me ask you this. As far as coyotes and their diet, uh, we all know that they, they prey on fawns, um, but how much do they prey on fawns? And, and, it, and that's probably relative to where uh, they live and the whitetail population density. But is it something where, you know, uh, they're killing 50% of the fawn population every year, or is it a lot less than that? Yeah, um, I don't know that that no, has... Maybe there's no info out there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I know it has been studied in some places, but I don't know that there is a... Blanket, a blanket answer that I can give you for mm-hmm. um, for the state. So, so first of all, you know we have a whole lot of the state where, where um, in Central Texas, where I am at least, where deer overpopulation is a big problem, right? There's whitetails everywhere, and each year, you know, we have a wildlife, you know, a management plan on my family property that I grew up on, and we try to keep the deer numbers down the best we can. Uh, and to no avail. We can never shoot enough. <laughs> um, and so, um, Y'all are probably and, glad to have coyotes then. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we don't... Hey, help us uh, out. We got too many deer. Y'all come eat some of them. Yeah, and I mean, and maybe maybe one day that would change, but with uh, with with whitetail right now, that's not a big problem. Yeah. With with mule deer, that might be a, a bigger issue. Uh, with pronghorn, it was cer- certainly identified to be a, a problem. Sure. Um, so I really can't say um, regarding whitetail fawns, uh, I don't think it's a very big percentage, but I just I can't say. Um, uh-huh. I haven't. I'm not fresh on that literature. Okay. Well, so there are counties out there who see it as necessary to offer mm-hmm. anywhere from an eighty dollar to a hundred fifty dollar bounty. Like we said, there's states out there that have statewide bounties. So obviously, there's you know there's some reason why they're doing that. Sure. Uh, kind of. And you told told me before the interview you don't really have the hard stats. So that's okay. Right. Um, you've given us a, a good idea of, of your stance on it in Texas Parks and Wildlife. And um, there, I don't really, there's probably really no reason to do much research on it because there's coyotes everywhere. They've, Like we said, <laughs> they've been targeted for uh, extermination. It hasn't worked. They've actually, it's gone the other direction. You try to exterminate them, you get more coyotes. Uh, mm-hmm. I do want to wrap things up, though, and just talk about bobcats specifically mm-hmm. have you seen a bobcat take down a mature white-tailed deer yeah do they do that yeah, they will okay it's it's really rare uh-huh. and it's usually a a um like a small female or something but occasionally they they will even take down a buck but a um but a a full-grown big bobcat is you know 40 pounds would be a big old bobcat and um, and so it's it's just really really uncommon. Much more common. I mean, the primary diet of bobcats is uh, birds and mice and rodents and rabbits. Mm-hmm. 
um, but they will on occasion take a fawn and and in extremely rare cases they have been documented taking a full a full size deer yeah well i've seen i've you know you always see these trail camera pictures and so you know it happens because you can't you can't make the stuff up i mean there's no no taking down yeah. a deer so i was just wondering with you know what frequency uh have you seen more bobcats in the last year or so than than in past years and i'm going to preface this by saying on our social media accounts people send in photos all the time of their hunts mm-hmm. and it seems like over the last year we've gotten more bobcat pictures than i've ever seen and i wonder if that's because with you know the you know we came out of the drought we yep. had good rain, and now we have more rabbits, more rodents, and so subsequently there's more bobcats. I don't know. It, you know that that those kind of cycles certainly happen, and and I wouldn't be surprised. However, we we receive uh, CITES tags. CITES is a uh, international treaty that was um, it's called the Convention or Com- Commission, something of international trade of endangered species, and bobcats are listed under the second appendix, appendix two in there, which means because their pelt looks like, looks very similar to some pelts of endangered species, um, that you have to tag them uh, if you're collecting their pelts for commercial purposes. And so um, so we receive, you know, coyotes we don't have any data on. Bobcats we actually get some data on uh, based on those tags. Uh, uh, and, and I have not seen any big spike in that okay. lately. However, Fur prices are not high either right now, and so it's hard to make a, a totally tight correlation between the population and and what our tag numbers are are saying. But um, so so you know I I haven't seen a big spike in tags, but uh, that does not doesn't necessarily mean there hasn't been a spike in the population. I haven't had any um, mm-hmm. um anything to suggest it though. But that's that's interesting to hear. Well, I, I did a little research on fur prices for bobcats because. Let me say, Texas coyotes really don't have much value. Uh, yeah. As far as you spend the time tanning it, you might as well not do it because they're not worth anything. They're worth like yeah. ten to twelve dollars for a tanned coyote hide, and that's for a perfect condition one. You know, now up right. north where their their coats are thicker, they're worth a little bit more. Same with bobcats. I was mountain lion hunting in Colorado uh, mm-hmm. with hounds. They catch bobcats there, and I mean they're worth you know up to four hundred bucks. So mm-hmm. a nice chunk of change. In Texas, a bobcat, thirty-five to forty dollars for a yeah. for a mint condition one. So yeah. not a lot of money in it. No, I yeah. mean we just have we have uh, warm weather, thorny, brushy country. You know we're just not yeah just not the in, aren't as nice. So yeah, exactly. We're not in the mountains, not in the cold yeah. snow and stuff. So yeah, yeah. Okay, well, well, cool stuff. Uh, I think you've provided some some value info just on our uh, you know. Fur-bearing critters, and then also the uh, the non-game species: bobcats, coyotes, mountain lions. We didn't really get into black bear, but maybe we'll uh, we'll have that conversation another day. So, uh, John, absolutely, we, we certainly appreciate your time today, brother. Absolutely, anytime. If you want to um, want to do a take two of this at some point, I'm happy to do it. All right, man. Well, hey, thanks for all you do, and uh, we'll do it again sometime soon. Okay, thanks, Cable. All right, fascinating stuff there from our TPWD fur-bearer and non-game. Mammologist Jonah Evans, uh, insightful stuff. And that segment, by the way, brought to you by All Seasons Feeders, a Texas tradition. When it comes to feeders and blinds, they've been doing it the longest, and they do it the best. Go to allseasonsfeeders.com to see their entire lineup today. Uh, Okay, 
Let's take a break. Up next, we'll shift gears and head out to the big lake with our old pal Cody Robertson of Army Bass Anglers. How does a major warming trend affect the bass bite during extremely cold weather winter months? All that's coming up next right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. They call it the hill country. I call it beautiful. I call it progress. If it could be saved. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. You told me there was more to life than just getting by. If you want your dreams, the only limit is the sky. If you use your head, then you won't have to break your back. You told me how to drink my coffee black. Black's the name of that one there from Travis Meadows. That tune always makes me think of my grandfather. Uh, He always told me, Cable, if you ain't drinking your coffee black, you ain't drinking it like a man. And so uh, somewhere about the time, my early 20s, I said, you know, my grandfather's right. I don't need that cream and sugar. And uh, so that song there from Travis Meadows hits home for me. Uh, Anyway, I'm Cable Smith. Thank you guys and gals for tuning in today as uh, we are rocking and rolling here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Also, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. We're all set to talk a little bass fishing with our old buddy Cody Robertson of Army Bass Anglers. But first, this segment of the show is brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. And if you haven't seen the new Come and Take It can, (laughs) I tell you what, uh, for a company to have the, let's just say, cojones to throw that up on their can, well, that's right up my alley. Y'all check it out. It's the new Lone Star Beer Come and Take It can, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and bring on our old pal. I always love talking bass fishing with retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel and Army Bass Anglers founder Cody Robertson. Thanks for being here. Hey, Cable. Thanks for having me, and I always love coming back. Great show. I love it. We appreciate it. Uh, let's talk about the tournament you guys fished in last weekend uh, on Falcon. I understand it was it was un- unseasonably hot even for that area. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was uh, extremely interesting conditions considering the time of year. So we were fishing the uh, Bass Champ South, first tournament of the season. Uh, and if anybody follows Bass Champs, you know it airs on the World Fishing Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're down there cranking down there and uh, Falcon, and it literally was 97 degrees on January 21st. That's insane. I, I mean, it's crazy. I would have. Yeah, I would have expected, you know, high 40s, maybe high 60s on the high end, uh-huh. which is typical with the winds, but it was ridiculously hot. And, of course, 
you know, weather plays a significant role in fishing yeah. uh, with ambient temperature and water temperature and all that good stuff. So everybody went down there with, you know, probably a, a, a pattern or a plan that wasn't atypical for this time of year. Mm-hmm. So it was... It yeah. was hot, and I was dehydrated. <laughs> well, so what goes through your mind as an angler when a crazy weather change occurs, you know, right before or during a tournament? Well, you know, the first thing that goes through your mind, usually the first thing that scares everybody is a front. Mm-hmm. You know, cold fronts, they just get locked jaw, and, and it becomes much more difficult, and you have to fish a lot more slowly. This being the first time we've ever gone down there and caught, call it a unseasonably uh, unprepared for heat wave, well, that changed everything. So the first thing in our mind when we hit the water was we're looking at water temperatures, surface water temperatures as fast as we could and try to figure out, okay, are they going to be deep or are they going to be shallow? You know, and, and this this warming trend that we didn't expect, you know, how's that going to play? Then add in the fact it was bluebird skies. So we already knew they were going to be hugging close to structure uh, just for that fact. So we started out cranking. You know, we went to a cranking pattern that we probably wouldn't have fished this time of year for that lake. Uh-huh. So we were cranking and topwater fishing, you know, the warmer waters at the top of the surface. So uh, we were topwater fishing and cranking, and we were literally catching fish all day long uh, on a Strike King square bill in two feet or less. Wow. And then, of course, some of the bigger fish were coming off of a little bit deeper water, but even then, they were coming out of four feet of water. Mm-hmm. which means probably because of the the changes in the temperature being so seasonably warm this year in South Texas, the fish are moving up to spawn earlier than anticipated. Yeah. And so most of the fish we were catching were bucks moving in, getting ready to bed, you know, to, to find the females up on the beds. And the females were already starting to move up. So we were finding all the, all the fat fish up in, like I said, four and eight feet of water, which means they're getting ready to move up onto some beds probably a good month, maybe you could argue a two months earlier than normal. Hmm. So it was a it was a wild weekend for fishing and uh several huge fish were brought to the scales, thirty plus pounds won it. Um the water was extremely uh the lake levels were extremely low. Uh lowest I've seen them in twelve years. Huh. So there was a lot of conditions we were working with, and and uh, but we had a great time. We caught a lot of fish. We caught probably close to thirty, and most of them came off of a square bill in two feet or less. Wow. Okay, that's that's crazy for you know mid January. Um, yeah, now, usually everybody's fishing a hump out in thirty feet of water at this time of year. Yeah, yeah. Well, so yeah, you guys didn't win it, but like you said, you were definitely on the bite. Um, what? Uh, I mean, do the fish get confused, or do you think that they're pretty predictable when when a when that warming trend hits? That's pretty um, rare. You know, I think I would say that the the fish probably they know more what's going on than we do because they're there twenty four seven. Where the tournament angler shows up and he's got maybe two days of practice if he's lucky. Yeah. You know, and then he's got to figure out where they're at, what's the conditions, what have the conditions been like for the last two to three weeks, and and what's coming in the next, you know, 24 hours. Mm-hmm. So we got a lot of, you know, algorithm-type decisions we got to make in order to figure out where they're at. And if you hadn't had the courtesy to or had the time to go do some pre-fishing, you know, several days ahead, of, you just got to figure it out. 
And the fish know what they're doing. They're like, hey, it's been warm for weeks. We know where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we had and a... And I show up and go, wow, holy smokes. We had a... I don't know if you know Charles Whited, a fishing guide in, around the Austin area. And yeah, he's, he guides a lot over on uh, Canyon Lake. Yeah, Canyon and then also uh, Town Lake. And I was fishing with him. Oh, it must have been last, like, May or something, and you know, long after the spawn, but he told me that even on those Austin area, you know, the Colorado River lakes up there, that the 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 spawn happened in late January last year just because of the unseasonably, or the, not unseasonably, but the uh, the warm winter that we had. And I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, so all these clients that you had booked for, you know, March and April that thought they were going to hit the spawn just kind of, they missed it. And he's like, yeah, he said they were spared. Yeah, exactly off. right. Yeah. So it might happen. And they weren't happy. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, there's no doubt it could probably happen this year. I mean, I don't think we've had in San Antonio maybe four days, five days under 30 degrees. It's yep. been pretty much 60 to 80 degree temperatures the entire winter so far. Yeah, it's crazy. And so obviously that means the fish are sitting there, hey, let's get this party rolling. Yeah. Started early with the spawn, you know. Uh-huh. Well, so what color pattern was uh, working the best on, on those square bills that y'all were throwing? Uh, the square bills that we were throwing was, uh, was a chartreuse and then a, a really bright yellow uh, colored square bill. I'd have to pull out the packaging and double check oh, the name of that particular one, but it was the KVD uh, square bills that Strike King makes and... Anything we could find in a chartreuse or a yellow, they were just smashing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm talking just plain yellow. Okay. I mean, if it had any kind of markings on it, uh, other than the eye and the little gill slit that's usually painted on the side of a bank, they weren't touching it. Hmm. And so, But if it was yellow or kind of a chartreuse color, I mean, they were crushing it. Okay. I mean, it was like Don, Don was literally catching fish about every five minutes wow. all day long. I mean, we were just smashing them. And then... We switched it up towards the end of the day as we got close to time to weigh in. We headed over into some deeper water, and uh, same thing, and we started to find them again in nine feet of water up on a up on a ledge. And so we didn't have time to bring too many of those guys in. Uh, they were all basically the same size, about 16 inches. So we were looking for bigger fish. So Yeah. They well, just, how many teams we were there? Some uh, there were 158 teams. And you guys finished. I mean, y'all were on the bite, finished, obviously, and y'all finished kind of in the middle of the pack. So. Yeah, we finished in the middle of the pack. Uh, our other teams finished a little bit higher than we did. Uh, but, I mean, every team out there was catching fish. Now, I believe there was upwards of 75-0. So, uh, the guys that were on them were catching them, and the ones that weren't, weren't. Well, so a good tournament for Army Bass Anglers. Let's talk about the latest and greatest, what you guys have going on. Well, we'll let you talk about it. Because I don't want to, you know, divulge too much info, but you just talk about whatever you're comfortable with. Uh, but what's going sure, on with, sure. with ABA? Well, you know, uh, we're coming up on our seventh year on the World Fishing Network. Season six uh, will air. We're filming. Uh, see, season six will air sometime right around into March, first of June time frame. Uh, we're going to have our first, I'm not going to name who, uh, but we're going to have our first uh, two-time winner. Uh, who's going to get? He's now going to have two NFL size championship rings to wear around. <laughs> uh, so that's exciting. And then uh, we filmed season seven. We've already been approved. Uh, so we're going to move forward in August with filming for season seven. And 
that'll be exciting. Seven years on the World Fishing Network, and uh, that'll be a lot of fun. And hopefully, we'll have a whole new cast and kids as well, and all go well there. And then, of course, you know, every the and talk that's force that on force. Just so, if anyone's not isn't familiar yeah, with the force show, force on force, which pits yep, uh, Navy or you know against the Army, against Air Force, all branches of the military fishing against each other. Yeah, exactly. And uh, so then, obviously, the one thing everybody, the buzz in Texas is, is we'll be at the Bassmaster Classic. Yeah. You know, the first time in Texas, which I think that's pretty much what everybody's focused on and talking about, because uh, I'd like to see the attendance record broke. I believe the attendance record is held down there at Barksdale Air Force Base in Louisiana when they go to the Classic there. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of curious people to see what the attendance is going to look like for it being first time in Texas down in Conroe. Yeah, well, and they're going to have the weigh-in at Minute Maid Park. So that's a drive. I wanted to talk about that. That's a drive for these anglers to get from Conroe to Houston at Minute Maid Park, which for attendance purposes will be great. But logistically, how do you see that playing out? Well, uh, that's going to be a challenge. Uh, first problem they're going to have is traffic. Yep. I don't care what day you drive in Houston, you're going to have a traffic problem. So that's going to create a time problem. And, of course, time is huge when you got fish in the live well, and all they need is one of them suckers to roll over dead, and they got a freaking penalty against them. So I think it's going to be a factor. It would not surprise me if one or two anglers – have the misfortune of having a dead fish mm-hmm. the stress of them sitting in a live well all day and then the transport from there and if they get stuck in traffic that much stress on a fish fish care is going to become a big issue for all the anglers to ensure they don't get slapped with the dead fish penalty yeah yeah so I, I think it's going to be a factor and it could be the one factor that keeps some guy from winning the classic it's a possibility yeah, great for the fans, but like like we said, not so great for the guys out there on the water. Um, yeah. But hey, they got a sacrifice for us. That's at the end of the day, we're the ones supporting them. So it is what it is. Uh, let's talk about our predictions. I might take your guy here, but I don't care. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Keith Combs is gonna win his first classic. Uh, I wish I could bet against you this time, but I can't. Keith's already racked up uh, two classic championships from the Toyota series. On Conroe, all my eggs and all my bets are on Keith Jones. He knows that lake better than anybody. He's already beat Iconelli on it. He beat KVD on it. He's beat all the top anglers on it. I'm going to have to vote. Even though we're you know, we're in the Bilebore family, I'm going to have to vote Keith Combs, <laughs> regardless of, of our association. Yeah, he, he knows that lake. I mean, he fishes it all the time. He's won on it under pressure. I mean, if, if you're betting against him, odds are you're going to lose. Yeah. Well, we'll have the same horse there just based yeah. on, uh, you know, what he's, like you said, what he's done there in the past is, is very impressive. Uh, so, and we'll be pulling for him. You know, he's a Texas boy and, uh, you know, <clears throat> we always keep oh, yeah. a close eye on him because of that relationship that uh, you guys have had in the past. So. We'll be pulling for Keith. Uh, That's coming up. That's March 24th through the 26th on Lake Conroe for any of y'all listening who want to make plans to head down there. It's going to be awesome. First time the Classic has come to Texas, uh, I think, in 47 years. First time ever in the Houston area. Um, Right. Way overdue. Definitely. uh, Come visit us at the Army Bass Anglers booth. We'll be 
raising funds and awareness to support the Soldier's Child Foundation fishing program on WFN. And, and you'll get to meet all the guys from WFN. Several of the champions will be there. Uh, several of our guys that have been cast members on the show will be there. So great opportunity to meet them and trade some more stories from on the water and downrange. Yeah. Well, and, and last thing I want to say here, and we won't get into it into too much detail, but we'll hit on it again on our, our next visit. But uh, a little bird told me there might be a uh, Army Deer Hunters division coming out. There, There is something definitely in the works. <laughs> I won't name name the name yet because uh, we've got to finish up some details, but uh, our members are screaming for something, and, and we've got the answer. Awesome. And it's going to be coming down the pipeline. All right. Well, we'll uh, stay tuned for that. Talk more about it on our uh, our next visit. Uh, Cody, always a pleasure, my friend. Uh, folks can go to armybassanglers.com uh, to keep up with you guys. Then you've got all the social stuff, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, the whole nine yards. They can find exactly. you Exactly. All right, well, brother. I appreciate you guys having us on again, and uh, look forward to hopefully bumping into you at the media day at the Classic. And uh, everybody take care out there, and be sure to visit us at armybassanglers.com. All right, brother. Thanks again. We'll see you there. Cool. All right, there he goes. Retired U.S. Army Lieutenant Colonel Cody Robertson. I always love talking a little bass fishing with him and getting the latest from Army Bass Anglers, one of my favorite organizations. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas, my absolute favorite place for trophy whitetail hunting. Uh, if you're interested in booking a hunt for the 2017-2018 season, go to stillwatersranch.com to book your trophy hunt today. All right, let's take a break. Up next, uh, what are we doing? Oh, yeah, our old friend Derek Ratliff of Horizon Firearms drops in. We'll revisit some of the most popular rifle builds as far as calibers go of 2016, and we'll also take a look at the custom stock industry what are the advantages to going with a custom stock over, you know, what you get from the manufacturer? To be honest with you, I couldn't tell you. It's all Greek to me, uh, but Derek will break it down for us next right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Howdy friends, Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. Hey, all this is Granger Smith. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I am the midnight. I'm the lonely heart. Home of the surgeon souls. I am the whiskey sip you drink instead of going home. I'm when the lovers rock. I'm when the dreamers play. Granger Smith, uh, y'all might know him as Earl Dibbles Jr., uh, but uh, Jack of all trades there. One of our favorites, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Uh, thanks to our presenting sponsors as well, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith, and we are all set to uh, revisit 2016, take a look back at 
A couple rifle calibers that really took the hunting community by storm. And we'll take a listen to our visit with Horizon Firearms President Derek Ratliff. Uh, man, the cool thing about Dallas Safari Club is we got so much content out of that show. We took uh, the recording equipment and made the rounds. We sat down with Derek. Um, we'll get into that interview here in just a second. But first, this segment is brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner, whether that's after the hunt or if you're just getting off the lake. Come on by, grab a bite, and enjoy Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. All right, uh, well, let's go ahead and bring him on now. Uh, he's our old friend, and uh, when it comes to custom rifle makers, there are few with as much knowledge as Horizon Firearms' Derek Ratliff. So let's check out this interview, which we taped uh, just a couple weeks back at the 2017 Dallas Safari Club show. Well, Derek, it's great to see you out here at Dallas Safari Club, man. Uh, you guys have come a long way in a few short years. How many... How many shows is this now? Man, we were actually sitting here trying to count, and it's either our fourth or our fifth show out here. But this is my favorite industry show for sure. I mean, we've done a lot of different shows with Bowtech, and even with Horizon and IOTA, we've done several shows. But the people out here, this is the best one, man. It really is. Well, it's all run by volunteers, so we take we take pride in that as one of the Hey, I tell you. When we were trying to move in, the volunteers made a big help. I mean, th it's the easiest move in, easiest move out. I mean, there was more people helping us than we have working for us, I think. <laughs> That's what we love to hear. Um, how many custom rifles did you guys build in 2016? Oh, man. I don't know if I can tell you that information. That's part of my secret information. <laughs> I'll, t I'll answer it this way. We'll talk about your growth then. Yeah, let's answer it that way. We... Um, I'll tell you for 17 is looking really good for us. We have set up with a new dealer network. And so if there's guys out there looking to carry horizon rifles, uh, we can set you up and do that as well. We've got five new models that we're setting up. And I will say that our 17 sales have, have almost already caught up with our 16 sales here in just the, the last month here. So it's been pretty awesome. <laughs> That's incredible. Well, tell me this. What about the top three most popular calibers for you guys uh in 2016 i'm telling you it's still the 6.5 creedmoor i mean that that gun is doing great uh -huh. um as we roll closer to 17 it looks like the six millimeter creedmoor and then that 22 creedmoor we've talked about several times i mean a lot of the dealers are really picking up on that one and the 28 nozzer is continuing to gain a lot of bit of, a lot of tread really mm -hmm. yeah and okay we've talked about the 28 nozzler mm -hmm. a lot in the past um, it's taken the hunting community by storm here in the last year and a half or so. What caliber is it most comparable to and most likely to kind of phase out? Man, that is a hard question to answer. I, it, it's basically a 200,000 shorter seven rum. Uh -huh. And so it's, we always say it's kind of the grown up version of a seven mag, you know? So what I, what I see well, I is. I take offense to that. As a <laughs> I know. I was, that's why mag. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I see it really, um, Probably phasing out the rum. If I really had to, to pick that, the 300 rum and the 7 rum, I think the nozzle's putting a, a hurt on those two calibers. Okay. Um, cool stuff there. Let's shift gears, though. What I really want to discuss today is something completely different from the caliber and ammo mm -hmm. discussions that we typically get into. Uh, I want to discuss the Kremlin stocks. Yep. And, you know, for the layman out there, start by breaking down the advantages 
of going with a custom stock over what you're going to get if you just buy directly from the manufacturer. Absolutely. So, I mean, just to backtrack a little bit, the Kremlin stock we make through our second company, which is IOTA Outdoors, we've talked about that several sure. times on the show. Um, you know, we've talked about our new stock we just released here, but the, the main advantage is the stiffness. I mean, so you're getting a barrel channel that is fully floated and is stiff. So when you're putting a bipod on it or you're, say, shooting a mule deer on an angle and putting pressure on that stock, you're not flexing the foregrin and touching your barrel and causing barrel whip issues. Mm -hmm. That's that's the big piece of it. Okay. Okay. Uh, so talk about the material that's yep. used into making that stock compared to, I mean, I can feel the difference. When I shoot mm -hmm. my Horizon, uh, it's night and day compared to if I grab a uh, you know a Remington or a, a Mossberg out of the safe and yep. uh, and a wooden stock especially is yep. just I mean that leaves a hurting on you when you're Absolutely. up around 300 Win Mag or a caliber <laughs> of that uh, capacity. You know the the big difference is just how they're manufactured. So you know I used to work at Savage uh, years ago and you know it's really price point driven. You know you're you're going with a plastic stock. It's molded. You have to to do that. So in the custom gun world, the custom stock world, we're actually doing hand laid carbon fiber composite material with a proprietary foam for lack of better terms, mm -hmm. um, and that gives you rigidity, but it gives you lightness as well. And the the coolest thing about custom socks, and in ours in particular, we mold in the colors. And so if you were to scratch your gun, the colors are deep. Where if you were running a painted stock, when you scratch the gun, uh, you know, you've scratched through the entire finish and now you've got an ugly gun. Well, ours, you could take sandpaper and sand it and you've still got the same good looking stock. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the issue with those wooden stocks too. Is yeah. <laughs> especially if you're going to the back country, I mean, it's going to get beat to hell. Absolutely. Um, and then... Uh, weather resistant mm -hmm. as well. I mean, yes, I imagine that's a big, uh, it, especially sale. when you're comparing it to wood stocks. Mm -hmm. And in Texas, we see it a lot on guns that we work on. That as the humidity changes throughout the season, you get some movement, some swelling of the wood. And again, when it touches the barrel, you got to think your barrel is moving in a wave when you're firing that shot. You touch it in different points, you're changing that wave. And so these carbon fiber composite stocks, you've got no chance really of it being able to even flex and touch that barrel so you get a good stiff platform you get a little more ergonomic grip where you can get a good straight pull and make really good shots mm -hmm. um so talk about taking a you know existing i say i've got a gun in my safe that i want to put a kremlin stock yep. on is that something you guys do a lot of as well absolutely and so and we actually you know sell to other gunsmiths and we actually sell to customers on the you can go to outdoors.com or go to one of our dealers and buy directly from them we do inlet for remington 700s or custom actions in various different barrel contours and right and left-handed so you can go on our website or call us up put in an order for exactly what you want and and uh, we fit it to that stock, send it to you, and it's a direct drop-in, plug-and-play. Two screws, and you're good to go, especially on a Remington. Right on. And what's the price point? So uh, retail on both models of our stock is 529 which right. is right in that kind of premium realm with the McMillan's and the Manor's, a little bit under that price. Uh, but you get a lot of bang for your buck on that. Manufactured in Texas. In Texas, right here. Yep, we actually do the full manufacturing of our entire stock line in Shiner, Texas, right across from the brewery. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, okay, well, if you want to give us a uh, website, social, yep. you know, contact info. Yeah, so be sure and follow us on IOTA Outdoors on our Facebook and our Instagram. And then our website is IOTAoutdoors.com. All right, man. Well, hey, y'all have a great trip uh, up to uh, Vegas. Appreciate it. will be at SHOT Show, and uh, we're going to 
unveil the new Endeavor series, which is a rifle we're, we're uh, really excited about for the backcountry yes. hunter, especially real lightweight. Uh, tell us real quickly, we're almost out of time, but yep. some of the calibers that it's available. So in the Endeavor, you can get it in a 6.5 Creedmoor, 6mm, 22, 28, 26, 7, 300. Perfect. Perfect. All right, man. We appreciate it. Thanks very much. All right. There he goes, our buddy Derek Ratliff, president of Horizon Firearms and IOTA Outdoors. Always great talking shooting, gun making, and firearms, uh, ballistics, all that good stuff with Derek as he really has uh, a good idea of what hunters want and uh, and what they're buying as consumers. So anyway, uh, we appreciate him jumping on. Unfortunately, gosh, just uh, looking at the time here, we've got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Derek, as well as our other guest today, Jonah Evans of Texas Parks and Wildlife, Cody Robertson of Army Bass Anglers, and of course, our buddy Clayton Leverett of the Stillwaters Ranch in Lano, Texas. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show powered by DSC. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors.